Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to continue our series in Advent, and so we uh, light these candles over here as a reminder of the four themes of Advent. For those of you who didn't grow up in a church setting or are not familiar with the word, the word Advent simply means the arrival or approaching, and there's um, waiting that's built into this Latin word Advent. Um, There's tension, as we learned last week in our first Sunday in Advent, that as we wait for the incarnation, the enfleshment of the Word of God, Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so Advent is a time that we can focus on these four different themes, and we at Vineyard Cleveland believe that it shouldn't be relegated to simply the month of December, but all year round, these things, the person of Jesus should be center, his presence should be center in our lives. So last week we looked at hope, and what we said was that um, these four different themes on the surface, uh, from a shallow look, they all, they all demand or uh, dictate from us a deeper look, a deeper look this December. And so we said that hope is not merely wishful thinking, but it's a a hope that's grounded, a trust that's grounded in the character of God, no matter what outcome happens. It's not just positive thinking or wishful thinking, but grounded in the character of God. Today, we're going to be talking about peace. We're going to be talking about peace, and it deserves a second look. Peace uh, typically is defined as like the absence of war, and that's like the best that we can do. When people aren't fighting, that means we're at peace. And so we're going to take a deeper look at biblical peace today, and then next week Jason Torrance is going to bring a message on joy, and then the following Sunday we are off, and then Christmas Wait, did I get the schedule right? No, I don't think I got it right. The following Sunday would be love, and then Christmas Eve, we'll talk about Christ himself coming in the flesh. So, Advent, the arrival, the anticipation of arrival, awaiting, and I love this quote from Glenn Pacquiam, just to start things off and to frame the whole conversation, and really the whole season of Advent. He says, in Advent, the church stands between two proclamations, God has come, And come, Lord Jesus, come. We are in an in-between time, as we said last week during our hope message, that we stand in the same same time as Simeon stood in the temple. We wait for the coming of the fullness of the kingdom of God. The fullness, the, the rule and the reign of Jesus here on earth. We stand in between two worlds in between two times. So we're going to get at uh, peace today. And I want us to frame this in that quote because it's so apparent to us, for any of us who have eyes to see as we look out at our world, we hear so many messages, especially during Christmas time, for peace on earth. Peace on earth. And yet we look out and we see that our world is not at peace. We don't have to look too far to see that our world is not at peace. There's a website called conflicttracker.com. It's a nonpartisan organization. They track conflicts and wars around the globe. 
There hasn't been a, a, a span of more than 30 years in the course of history. How many years throughout the course of history? There has not been a span of more than 30 years without war on the face of the planet Earth. We are a warring tribe, humans are. Whether it's in the context of nations or breaking it down even personally in our marriages. How many of you are married out there? How many are? Yep. Yep. Sarah and I had a great fight the other day. Your pastors do fight. We wouldn't be normal if we didn't. Spouses, anybody have a spouse out there? If you don't get in a fight, one of you is unnecessary. (laughs) We're at war. And you know how this song and dance goes. (laughs) Again, this could be a quote from the Brusco home or your home. The husband... uh, uh, is being approached by the wife, and the wife says, you're, you're not attentive to my needs. You can't see me. Am I reading your mail right now? <laughs> the husband says, your needs? What about my needs? I, I've got needs too. You know, you can't hear me. You can't see me. So we're at war with one another. The problem to peace is I, me, and mine. The Puritans used to define sin as life that's bent in on itself. Life that's bent in on itself. The way that God designed the human heart, the way that God designed the world to operate, works best when life doesn't revolve around us. When the focus is shifted off of ourselves and onto God with Jesus at the center, life just works. Now that's not to say that life will not be, out, be without suffering, without trial, without tribulation, but the way that God designed our hearts to function is that it just works when our focus is shifted away from ourselves. And so we're going to get at the biblical definition of peace today. And what we've been doing, uh, what we did last week, what we'll continue to do for for the following two weeks is show you this series of videos that this wonderful organization, The Bible Project, has released in... um, in the themes of Advent. So last week we watched a a video on hope, and today I wanted to show you this wonderful video on the biblical definition of peace. Take a a look at this. This is just wonderful stuff as we come to gather around the season of Advent and study peace. Peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or time peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is ereg. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness. Wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. 
This is why Shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Erehe. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Ereim. He was the whole complete human that I may believe but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciles all things in heaven and earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So good, right? completeness, wholeness, fullness in the, uh, hey Tim, how's it going? In the biblical definition of the word peace or shalom. So that's what we're going to get out to, get at today. And we're going to be jumping around all over the scripture. But what I want to root us in is the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 specifically. But we're going to be jumping all around. And my, my hope for today is that we would walk away with a sense of Jesus' presence for us and for peace. That he himself, as the video said, or as scripture says, that he himself is our peace, that we would find peace in the person of Jesus. So what to that end, what we'll do is we'll look at three ways to root our hearts in peace this Advent. So we're going to do three ways to root our hearts in peace this Advent. Does that sound good? Okay. All right. So first, we need to, if we're to root our hearts in peace this Advent, we need to lean into the limitlessly expanding, unending, immeasurable, inexhaustible, uh, perpetual, everlasting, boundless peace of Jesus. That's a mouthful. 
And it's meant that way on purpose to uh, accomplish this thing of, of describing the peace of Jesus when his kingdom comes in full. Let's read the prophecy. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking over the people of Israel. Nevertheless, we read, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, oppressor. every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Hinge point for to us, say for to me, to me, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's good news for us this morning. That's really, really, really good news. Specifically in verses 6 and 7, when Jesus is given this title from the prophet Isaiah, from the, the mouth of God, Jesus is given this title, Prince of Peace. And then later in verse 7, we're told that of the greatness of his government, of Jesus' government and peace, there will be no end. And I wanted to key in on those two phrases this morning. When we think of this phrase, a really poor translation in the NIV, the Prince of Peace, we typically think of what we see in, uh, who's, who's the British prince right now? What's his name? Is it Charles? Where's Henry at? Is Henry around? Who's, who, Harry? Yeah, see, we don't, I don't even know. I should know. But we think of this political figurehead, really, that has no authority, essentially, who is just born into a line of princes and kings before him or her, princess, but who really has no authority to like really shift things in our world. And the word peace is difficult too for our English language. We think of the word peace and we think of a state of calmness or we, we think of a day at the spa and it's encompassing of that, but that's really not the biblical definition of peace, what we learned from the Bible Project video. This word here in Hebrew, this phrase, the prince of peace, prince, this word is, uh, the phrase is sar shalom. And what Sar Shalom means is the authority of wholeness. The authority of wholeness. So what we're being told of who Jesus is, 
is that he is the one who completes the circuit. He is the one who brings uh, two broken things together to make complete, to make whole, to make one, to make fullness from broken, shattered, divided uh, pieces. Jesus is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And we read that of his, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the Hebrew t- here is interesting as well because it's limitless. It's limitlessly expanding. It's, it, it blows your mind up to think about for just a minute. Because all we can, the best that we can do is define peace as the absence of war. And what the scriptures tell us is that to his, the greatness of his government and his peace will be limitlessly expanding. Wholeness upon wholeness. Shalom upon shalom forever and ever and ever. How can that be? The good news of Jesus is that the peace that he brings is limitlessly expanding, ever-expanding peace. Not just on the earth, but in our hearts as well and in our lives. That His peace is boundless. It's perpetual. It's inexhaustible. If you need peace, you, there's never a time where Jesus will look at you and say, mm, sorry, ran out of it yesterday. Jesus will never run out of shalom for you. It's inexhaustible. It's perpetual. It's constantly expanding in our lives. Once the seed of the kingdom is dropped into our hearts, that seed grows and grows and flourishes. The peace of Jesus, it's intrinsically related to his identity, we'll find this morning. You can't separate the theme of peace from the person of Jesus. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Everywhere he walked, he walked in peace. And Isaiah is saying there is coming a time when this authority of wholeness will reign on David's throne. Jerusalem, get it? Shalom, the city of peace. And who reigns there? Jesus will reign there forever and ever and ever and ever. In Colossians, this is the goodness. Oh my goodness. We're jump, now we're jumping around. So I... Got all my little bookmarks there. In Colossians, Paul writes this about who Christ is. Verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. See the authority there? Sar Shalom. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace. Through his blood shed at the cross. Think about the wonder. I'm flabbergasted as I think about the wonder of the reality of what Paul is trying to get across to us as the church. That all of the fullness 
the inexhaustible resource of who God is, the greatness of who he is, all of the love, all of the joy, all of the hope that is in God and the character of who Yahweh is, is stuffed down into baby Jesus at the manger. Isn't that incredible? That the limitlessly expansive person of Yahweh, God, is stuffed into the confines of human skin and bones. That is amazing. That is crazy, too. How crazy is that? Only God would devise a plan so brilliant as to stuff all of the fullness of the divine into, fragile, into a fragile human baby that needs, that cries. Away in the manger, no crying he makes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Birth is messy. Jesus needed. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was human. Isn't that beautiful? The fullness of God stuffed down into a little baby boy born into obscurity in the middle of nowhere for a handful of people to see, hidden and tucked away. Brilliant. Brilliant. And Paul says that the way that we experience peace, the way that we root our hearts in peace this Advent is only and always through the cross. It's through the cross. He said it there at the end of that passage from Colossians. It's always through the cross. Never any other avenue. If you plug it into Siri on your phone, the GPS will always take you through the cross. The way to God's presence is always through the cross. In Romans 5.1, Paul writes that we have peace with God. Shalom with God through the cross of Jesus. And check this one out. In Isaiah 26.3. Make sure I get it right. Isaiah says this about God, about Yahweh. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. Check out that phrase, perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. So I'd ask you today, how is your shalom? How is your peace? In perfect peace, shalom upon shalom. When Israeli folks greet one another when they're coming into a room or they're leaving a room, we see this circuit of completeness, this definition of wholeness defined in the casual Jewish greeting. Everywhere um, Israeli folks go, if they're walking into the room and their friend is leaving the room, we greet one another with shalom. And the person leaving says shalom. And so in, um, in the very... In the very formal uh, greeting of how Jewish folks greet one another, we see the definition of the word itself. There's a completing of a, of a circuit. Whether you're coming or whether you're going, the circuit's completed as one. Shalom, shalom. Those whose minds are kept in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, because they are steadfast in trusting the Lord, God will keep them in shalom, shalom. Do you see it? 
perfect peace. Perfect peace. And it's only ever through the cross. The second way that we can prepare our hearts uh, or to root our hearts in peace this Advent is to prepare him room. To prepare him room. First of all, little tangent root here that's not so much of a stretch. Um, that, that's not so much of a stretch is that Jesus rested. Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I want to encourage each of you to intentionally withdraw this December, to go easy on yourself and to give yourself grace. This December, I was talking, I was talking to a friend of mine at small group on Wednesday and he was sharing with me how he had not one, not two, not three, but four Christmas parties associated with work before Christmas. Four! I'm like, dang, dude. Will you even have time to catch your breath? Doesn't it seem like that during December? I want to encourage you to cancel on people this December. (laughs) Just cancel on them, kindly. I want to encourage you to sleep in once this December. I want to encourage you to be like Jesus and withdraw to a lonely place and hear from the Father and do whatever it takes to do that. I can't, I can't stress to you enough how passionately I feel about this component of following Jesus and this rhythm. Yes, Jesus did stuff, but Jesus also withdrew to be alone with his Father to set everything aside. I want to encourage you to to spend a morning, an afternoon, an evening, a 24-hour cycle, and try to make less than three decisions. (laughs) These are challenging, right? I want to encourage you once this December to not talk to anybody before 3 p.m. on one day. I want to encourage you to take one evening and take your wife, here we go, three fingers pointed back at me, take your wife, gentlemen, out to a lovely dinner and just have a great meal. Once, just twice, she says once, twice, three times, four times. A friend, a friend of mine had his kids with him at this rehearsal that we were doing, and it was to give his wife the morning and the afternoon off. This was her time, right? Unintruded from kids needing her. And I thought, what a blessing that is to her. That's, that's good relationship right there, you know? Do whatever it takes. It'll cost you. It will cost you. It will cost you in commitments. It might cost you in somebody being mad at you because you canceled on them. Just say, hey, Evan told me to do it. Blame it on me. I'll take it. <laughs> she says, stop talking. You're right. The foot, the foot is approaching the mouth. <laughs> okay, so prepare him room. You rest, okay? Find one day to just be 
Jesus withdrew to lonely uh, places. Back on track. Prepare him room. Ephesians 2.14, we read that Jesus himself is our peace. Check this out. Paul, for he himself, Jesus, for he himself is our peace. He, oh, I love this. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's impossible to separate the person of Jesus from the theme of peace. He is our peace. We're told in other places he's our living hope. Here we figure out, we find out, that Jesus is our living peace. He carries peace everywhere with him. Everywhere he goes, he carries it with him. And really showing the genius of God here. When God, when Yahweh God sets up in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Numbers, when he sets up the priesthood, the priests of the Jewish people to serve in the temple before the Lord God Almighty, the main function, get this, the main function of the priests in Israel was to pronounce peace over the people. And that's why, tangentially, Jewish people greet each other. It's so ingrained, this shalom is so ingrained in the people's culture. After years and years and years and decades and centuries, the main function of the Jewish priest in the temple was to pronounce peace over the people. Now check this out. In Hebrews 7, 17, we read this. See how much I want to read here. Okay. For it is declared, you, Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former, former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced. I could substitute peace there for sure. A better peace is introduced by which we draw near to God. So you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying there? That peace is so impossible to separate from the person of Jesus. And the genius of God, the genius of Yahweh is this. That Jesus was set up to be our great high priest. So Jesus' main function in that logic is to what? Pronounce peace over the people. Jesus' main function was to say, the enmity that has been between human beings and God, the barrier, the great dividing wall, has been torn down in the person of Jesus. That he is our great high priest. And so being thus, his main function is to bring, the, to usher this peace of God, not just to nations, but to individual human beings. The shalom of God is now accessible to me and to you through the person of Jesus, our great high priest. His main function is to pronounce peace over the people. And we can see this in the way that his life, this is a great little nugget too, to grab hold of, to hold this mental picture throughout the course of December of who Jesus is. This is a good one. This, this one's free. This is... Um, Jesus is so much our peace. There, it's this picture of 
that his life was bookended by the pronouncement of peace. The first thing that we hear from God, the Father, about who his son is, is that he is peace. When the angels show up in the sky and they make the annunciation of Jesus' birth, the incarnation of God being made skin and bones, what do they say? They say, they sing, they shout, thousands upon ten thousands in the sky for just ten little shepherds. Amazing. Picture, isn't that amazing? This myriad of angels, what do they say? They, They sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men and women on whom his favor rests. Angels are angels because they're they're messengers of God. So this pronouncement, which we attribute to the angels, is really coming from the heart and head and mind of God. The first thing Yahweh says that I want folks to know about my son is that wherever he walks, peace follows. Glory to God in the highest. You see, God put those words in the angels' mouths. You see the intention in that? The annunciation of Jesus' birth is glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men and women on whom his favor rests. So that's one bookend. And through his life, he walks beautifully, powerfully, and wonderfully in peace, in shalom, in perfect peace, in shalom, shalom. And then he dies. He raises from the grave. And the second bookend comes into focus. One of the last things, we heard it on the video, the last things. How many of you know that last words are really, really important? They're recorded for famous people throughout the years. Why? The last thing that people say, it's really significant to pass something on, the legacy that's left, a gift that's given perhaps, a blessing over loved ones, yes. And one of the last things that Jesus says forms the second book into his life. He says, my peace I give to you. And I don't give as the world gives Thank the Lord. My peace I leave with you. Jesus' life is bookended by peace, both in the coming and uh, during the ascension. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And here's the challenge. The third way we can root our hearts in peace this Advent is to become peacemakers, to make peace. To make peace. In 1 Peter 2.9, we follow in the lineage of Jesus. And I want to stretch this analogy out to show you what your responsibility is, who you are called to be. Not so much uh, do and be. Okay, so we'll try and ride that, we'll try and follow that tension. We'll try to hang in that tension between doing and being, okay? But we are peacemakers. It's in our identity because Jesus walked in perfect peace. In 1 Peter 2.9, we are told that we, the church, in Cleveland, Ohio today, all over the globe, there are more than 2 billion people who claim Jesus as Lord on the face of the earth today. 
in Asia, in Africa, in South America, in the United States, everywhere, people, the, the, expand, the limitlessly expanding peace of God. Do you see it spreading across the globe? And all of us who claim Jesus as Lord are called to walk in the way that he walked which is the way of peace. In 1 Peter 2.9, we're called a royal priesthood. Is it coming into, is it coming into focus now? If, if, if we, the church, are called a royal priesthood, what does that mean? It means that Jesus, our great high priest, in the order of Melchizedek, he's the great high priest, we're a royal priesthood, our major function the thing over our lives is to pronounce peace to other people. A royal priesthood. The church is a royal priesthood to pronounce peace over people. What does that look like? To forgive often, to mediate frequently, to stand in the gap and look how tied it is to our identity. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches this. Beatitudes, rather. In Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed, here it comes, are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to notice through all of these blesseds what you get. What you get. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What do you get? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. What do you get when you mourn? You're comforted. Blessed are the meek. What do you get? You inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What do you get? You're filled. You're satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful. What do you get? you get shown mercy in return. Blessed are the pure in heart. What do you get? You get to see God. Check it out. Blessed are the peacemakers. For you will be called children of God. It's the only, it's the only reference to who you are as a person. You get to be called a son or a daughter when you walk in the way of peace. When you become a peacemaker, God himself calls you son, daughter. It's the only one of those that's attached to identity, to who you are. Because it's so close to the heart of God. James tells us that when we sow in peace, we reap righteousness. Why? Because we're being like our dad. We're being like our brother, Jesus. 
When we sow in peace, we reap right, righteous, right standing with God. You're a son. You're a daughter. When you walk in the way of peace, when you forgive often, when you mediate frequently, when you stand in the gap, between wherever, wherever war is, whether it's on a personal level, it may, it may look like a myriad of different things for you. I don't know your situation. I know what's in here, but I don't know your situation. It may look like doing that thing that you don't want to do with every fiber of your being, apologizing to your spouse. To just say, I'm sorry. You didn't deserve that. I want to be a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You don't deserve to be treated like that. I'm so sorry. I have no excuse. To lay your weapons down and put your hands up and say, I want peace more than anything else because that's who Jesus is. And he's called me to be a peacemaker. Ah, oh, Jace is going to hand it to me again. Henry Nouwen quote for the win. Peacemaking is a full-time vocation that includes each member of God's people. It's an inside joke between Jace and I. I'm sorry. To let you all in on it, we have theological discussions about Henry Nouwen. And, I'm, and I fangirl over Henry Nouwen. I think he's amazing. Um, so that's in on the inside joke. Anyway, peacemaking, back. Peacemaking is a full-time vocation that includes each member of God's people. If you follow Jesus, if you claim Jesus as Lord, peacemaking is your vac- vocation, vacation, vocation by default. That above and beyond anything else that you are, whether you are an accountant, whether you are a business owner, whether you are in marketing, whether you represent a group of um, workers in the city, whether you are a teacher, a nurse, a mom, a dad, a brother, a grandson, a granddaughter, your first calling is to be a peacemaker, to pronounce peace over the people. Peacemaking is a full-time vocation that includes each member of God's people.